You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Cheeseheads. Cheeseheads. Get on your feet. It's curd and long. Hosted by Sparky Fighter and Ryan Horvath. Welcome in, Kurt and Long. No Ryan Horvath this week. Ryan Horvath will return next week. Have no fear. He will be back from his uh, sabbatical, kind of, sort of. He was in Vegas for BetQL for a week. Uh, he's got other stuff going on this week, so uh, he will be back next week. You can follow me on Twitter at Sparky Radio. You can also check out 1250amthefan.com for all the different interviews I do. Uh, earlier today, Wednesday, interviewed Sam Dykstra from MLB Pipeline. Uh, and MILB.com uh, wrote a piece talking about some of the hot prospects for the Brewers coming into spring training. So you can check that out uh, if you have a chance or on your Odyssey app. Joining me in the place of Ryan Horvat is my guy, Crunchy Kevin Holden, CBS 58 Sports Director. Follow him on Twitter at 321Q Kevin. You also know him as a play-by-play announcer for the Green Bay Packers in preseason on Telemundo. Does a lot of great stuff. Uh, Kevin, first things first, uh, I, I want to talk about this list and I, I sent this to you uh, the other day as far as, hey, we, we can talk about this. So the 33rd team uh, is this website that got created. And uh, a lot of guys affiliated with this website are all former NFL guys. That's pretty much what it is, right? Um, and then they bring in current NFL guys and they do podcasts and interviews and all this other stuff. Ben Fennell, who was a longtime guest on the big show back in the day. Um, and is a producer uh, for, uh, what is it, CBS, uh, NFL on CBS. He does that. Uh, he uh, works with the NFL draft, does a whole bunch of different stuff. Uh, he's affiliated with it. He's the one that first told me when they launched it that they were doing it. Uh, so it's a, it's a, before I get into this, I just want to clarify, it's a credible website. Okay. Yes. Because some people are losing their, their you know what, over this, this list. Uh, so they put out this 2024 offseason power rankings. Uh, and it has Patrick Mahomes one. Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, uh, Justin Herbert, four, Stafford, five, Prescott, six, Stroud, seven, Lawrence, eight, Burrow, nine, Jordan Love, 10. So in the top 10 power rankings going into the 2024 season uh, for the 33rd team uh, dot com, uh, your thoughts on whether or not you think Love should be higher than 10 in the top six, top seven, top five, whatever. Uh, or do you think they got him too high after only one season? Yeah, it's there's a part of me that feels you, you could make a case in both directions, Sparky. You've got you've got a, a guy in Jordan Love that made these tremendous strides over the course of the season, and <clears throat> honestly, it it uh, it helped save a lot of attitudes and a lot of approaches to to Packers football because halfway through that season, halfway through this fall. You know, there are people like, okay, the Packers are going to have a top whatever draft pick. They're going to be one of the worst teams in the league. Maybe they shouldn't, you know, you know, maybe pull back a little bit on effort for the last half of the season. And it went from that to a team that beat the Dallas Cowboys on their home turf in the playoffs, which nobody else had done in a couple of years. So you're talking about 
a, a massive, massive change uh, that Jordan Love, I think, was at the at the center of. I thought he was super impressive down the stretch. I think Tan's about right because one playoff win in his career is a little different than, for example, the guy right in front of him, Joe Burrow, who, you know, you, you can pull a playoff history from Joe Burrow. You can't really do that from Jordan Love just yet. The 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 full story isn't written just yet. You got about half a season, I think, worth of of what Jordan Love can really be. I think he got there faster than we thought, and I think if he continues to do this and continues to succeed in the playoffs, and he deserves to be higher. But I think right now, tens tens a good. I think they shot at mid range, and I think that's about right. You start talking about a top ten quarterback after a first year starter. Um, I think any organization would take that after one year starting for the quarterback. Now, I know he waited for a couple of years and yada, yada, yada. I, I get all of this. I'm just saying to be top 10 after year one, to me, tells me that they think, um, and they say as much, that they found their long-term answer at quarterback again. They found it with Brett. They found it with Aaron. And now it appears they've got another one in Jordan Love. Not to say he's a Hall of Famer, but to say that he could be a starter in Green Bay for 10 years. Sure. And and the difference of what's about to come for the Packers is Jordan Love is about to get two, two windfalls, not one, but two. All of the young receivers that he worked with this year that he helped bring along are a year stronger, a year older, a year more experienced next year. But the Packers are also going to have massive amounts of capital to spend for the first time in however long, because some of those old guys are getting off the books. And with that in mind, Love, love himself could get better. The guys that are currently around him could get better. And the guys coming in will make them better. So I, I, all arrows, literally all of them, pointing upward for this Packers team, which is crazy for me to say, because again, if you, if you and I had this conversation in October or even early November, I mean, in December, we could have had this conversation. And I would have said to you, look, man, uh, you know, there, there've been some ups and some downs, but it may be a couple of years before we really know something. I don't think that's the case. I think that late season stretch convinced me that this future is is very bright. And I think it helps love in addition to helping where the team goes. I think it, it'll help him in these power rankings when we see him next year. I think he's higher than 10. You know, it'll be interesting to see what the number is that Jordan Love gets. A, a lot of people think he's going to get, uh, you know, north of $50 million a year. Uh, I seem to think he'll get more closer to 45 than he's going to get to 50. Could be wrong. Who knows how this whole thing plays out, but that's going to eat into the chunk of your salary cap too. You know, you're still on the hook for Rogers, more of Rogers money this year. Uh, Bakhtiar, you got to make a decision on uh, if you cut me, you save around 19, $20 million a year towards your cap, which is obviously good. Um, so it's probably going to be the summer of 25 when he gets a lot of money, but Gutekunst is definitely going to have money this year to where he can go at a free agent or two, you know, maybe at seven million a piece or seven or eight million a piece, uh, and be able to go do that. Um, when I look at this list, I, okay, I, for whatever reason, I, I don't, I don't like Trevor Lawrence in front of him. I, I think he should be ahead of Trevor Lawrence. Um, Stroud being at seven is fine, but if Stroud is in front of Lawrence, then I think Jordan Love should be in front of Lawrence as well. Because, in my opinion, based on how both of their seasons kind of went, I kind of view both of them kind of on the same level, which is, you know, a bigger hat tip to Stroud because I don't think there's any chance Jordan Love would have looked that good had he played year one in Green Bay because he was not ready. So for Stroud to come in and play that well, and you know we talk about Green Bay being inexperienced and, and trying to figure this out, what the hell did Stroud have in Houston? I mean, he didn't have anything. He was trying to make use of what he had in Tank Dell and some of these other cats, but they didn't have a stud running back. They don't have any big time Don or, you know, uh, uh, Adams, Devontae Adams type wide receivers in Houston. They don't have a stud tight end. Like they, they really don't. And for him to ball out the way he did, I don't argue about him being in front of love. I, I just, I struggle with Trevor Lawrence being in front of him. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of, because if, if CJ Stroud, if you, if you make the decision that CJ Stroud one year as a starter is good enough to be better than Trevor Lawrence, then Jordan love one year as a starter is good enough to be. I, I, I agree with that. You know, I had a conversation with a, an old friend, you know, years and years ago, I worked in Houston briefly, and uh, and one of my buddies that was there works for the Turner Networks now. She's a a producer for the uh, the NBA shows, and but we still talk NFL from time to time, and she loves her hometown team, her Texans, and and she said she said the turning point for her was when they decided to stop being Patriot South, you know, the whole Bill O'Brien thing. Yep. 
And I shot back and I said, I don't know. I think the turning point was when C.J. Stroud just stepped on the field. I mean, not not to take anything away from the coaching staff and the organization and whatever, but C.J. Stroud made a lot of people look smart this season, you know? Well, the turning point was the draft last year when they gambled and went back up and had back-to-back picks at the top of the draft. And you draft a pass rusher out of Alabama who turns out to be really good. You draft a quarterback when everybody was questioning because of his IQ test or whatever the hell they give him and everything else, whether or not that was the right pick. Um, they put they pushed all chips in and said, we're going to roll these two guys to rebuild us. Uh, and Cesario, Nick Cesario, has done it the right way uh, in, in Houston, even though he caught a lot of flag and a lot of hate early on for some of the decisions he was making. Uh, Cesario has figured things out for the Texans and their future is bright. And I think Brian Gutenkunst and the Packers future is bright as well. And to the point, I want to get your thoughts on coming up here. If free agencies first uh, in the NFL and then the draft, which is how every sport should be. Um, So now we look at it from this perspective. Uh, what are expectations for one Kevin Holden of CBS 58 as far as what they do in free agency, where they add, uh, and then what kind of the draft looks like? I think the the first thing that that you've got to do is, as terrible as it sounds, with all the all the first round picks and all the capital that went in defensively, if you've made a coaching staff and a philosophy change defensively, bringing in a new defensive coordinator, which I agreed with, and changing some of the other folks on staff there, the first thing I want to do is get with them because philosophically there's going to be a difference. A new defensive coordinator and some new position coaches as well. There will be something philosophically that we did just, it's just natural, right? Everybody approaches things a little bit differently. So my free agent dollars go to them first. I, I want to know what they want and where they want it. And then to make that work, if that's the secondary, if it's to put a little more pressure up front, whatever it is, something on the defensive side of the ball is probably, probably going to be where we are. I would be tempted uh, to to boost the the receiver room just because and look I it's not a matter of of not having confidence in the guys but it is a matter of adding a body into that room who can help them take steps forward they they're taking steps forward just working with Jordan Love just just gaining reps and gaining experience in the NFL but sometimes the best teacher is a teacher you know what I mean? And so a, a good veteran receiver that can come in and, and work with those guys might be a good free agent in a couple of ways. He helps on the field, but he helps develop what else is there. I mean, that's the, that to me would, would help that room tremendously. Uh, and then and then I think you have to figure out, and it's a difficult conversation, but you have to figure out at some point what to do in the running back room, not that there's a problem, but they're, you know, running backs are like cars, right? Once you get to that five-year mark, you know, and you've run a lot of miles on those cars, it's a little bit different. A.J. Dillon had his issues during the season, and, and you know, Aaron Jones has been a fantastic Green Bay Packer, but just the laws of nature and age and science tell you some point you got to figure that out. That's probably more a draft question than a free agent question, but if you have to, then maybe you throw a few dollars that way too. Let's talk about that that running back room because it's obviously it's Aaron Jones. Um, Goody has over the top praised him. Matt Lafleur is over the top praised him, which means in my mind he's back without question. AJ Dillon probably not um, unless he comes back on a minimum or something like that because he doesn't want to leave. Um, but otherwise, I, I guess I find it hard to believe AJ Dillon is back. And I'm with you. I think that's where the draft it comes into play. Uh, and maybe they take a couple of running backs in that draft, middle of the draft, um, and see you know which one or two guys stick. Here's a little stat that Jacob Morley uh, tweeted up. List of running backs to have 1,000-plus carries and average five yards per carry since 1933. 1933. Okay, 1,000-plus carries, five yards per carry. Jamal Charles, Nick Chubb, Jim Brown, Joe Perry, Barry Sanders, Aaron Jones. Wow. End of list. Wow. Wow. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, that, that's that's a tough one to say. Oh yeah, cool. See ya. Enjoy your that's time elsewhere. Names. That's six names in the in in the in ninety years of football. That that's include Jim names. Brown and Barry Sanders. Goodness gracious! And Jamal Charles. Remember, yeah. remember how Jamal Charles was a superstar, not to dovetail, but just the, the the moment where he was a superstar, he was as good as any. He just didn't have a long shelf life. But it does it does tell you that. That Aaron Jones, first of all, has been a, a fantastic player across years for this team, but he's also been a guy that, remember, there were a lot of question marks and criticism of Matt LaFleur for usage of Aaron Jones. Remember, they, they, it was more last year than this year, but there was the whole thing about he's only getting this many touches, he's only getting this, he's only getting that. I thought that the coaching staff found a pretty effective way to make Aaron Jones effective long term. And it meant you didn't give him 40 carries in week two. And that did upset some people. But he was effective later on, and he's been effective over the course of years. They may have bought him some extra time uh, because of that, right? Because, you know, obviously when running back usage was 40 carries every game, you know, the guy would fall right off the table. I don't know if Jones will fall off the table, but but I do think you've got to figure some sort of solution. If it isn't now, then for this year, then it's next year, I think. You know, the other thing about this, uh, when we start talking about the draft and free agency, Goody's been really good the last two drafts, like really good. And now you're talking about five picks in the first two days of the draft. And I am admittedly addicted to mock drafts right now on profootballnetwork.com. I do a bunch every day. It's the last thing I do before I go to bed. I lie in bed. I do a mock draft and then I go to sleep. I screenshot all of them most of the time. Um, And yesterday, uh, I got, I was like, okay. So I always have a plan going in. Like, okay, I'm not going to trade any picks. I'm just going to sit where I am. Yesterday, I was like, I'm going to just trade down in the first round and trade down and trade down and see what happens. I'm telling you what, you know, they could be super aggressive and they could package a two and a three and move back into the first round and still have a two and a three and have two ones. So they could do that. They could package a one with a two and a three and skyrocket up the draft. Um, and go up and really get aggressive and try and get somebody and still have a second and a third. They can do all of that. But they also could move back. They could go at 25, and they could make one or two trades to get all the way, still stay in the first round, and get all the way back to like 31, 32. But for me, and I've said this in uh, previous Curry Long podcast, if we make trades, the Packers, and we're going back, I want picks for next year. I don't, you don't need to give me a fourth round pick this year or a fifth round pick this year. I don't, I don't need any of that. What I want is if you want me to go back from 25 to 28, fine. We'll flop and give me a second next year uh, or a third next year, whatever. Like I, I like the idea of having a bunch of picks in the first two days of the draft on a year to year basis. If you could make that happen to give you a really good shot of restoring um, and creating more and more depth, I guess. Uh, as you go along here, that would be my thing. I, I would try to fi- be figuring out how do I get two additional picks in next year's draft before, you know, day two is done in the NFL draft. Yeah, I'm, I am 100% on board with it, with with the idea of using your capital perhaps to help yourself down the road. And the amazing thing is it, the, what changed my mind on that was was basically the the five-game stretch that was the last three games of the regular season, the win in Dallas and the and the, ch- the chance to win against the eventual NFC champion San Francisco 49ers. In other words, if the Packers who were six and eight that got torched by Baker Mayfield uh, sputtered down the stretch and finished seven and 10, I would feel like they would need to, you know, kind of hit the gas this year to get things better for this year. But they showed in that stretch that, that there's enough there, enough on this team right now in terms of what they, they will have on this roster next year that you don't have to tilt the scales in favor of 2024, that you can do exactly what he's done. Look, Goody's success in the drafts of the last couple of years have, have set this thing up in much the same way 
and heaven forbid I'm making this comparison, in much the same way that Ted Thompson's drafts in the late 2000s helped to set up that run of, of success. I know that's a that's a high bar that I'm I'm setting there, but but what I'm what I'm going for is need was was less of an issue. There wasn't a dependence on having to use the draft to get yourself into a position right now. And it's because the Packers used those draft picks so well and got so much talent out of it that they could spread this thing out a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I mean, I want to see some some assets join this team for 2024. But if Goody ends up doing this to improve 2025, man, more power to him because that's that's the Packers way, just in the same way that we've gone Favre to Rodgers to, to Jordan Love. I am starting to see Ted Thompson coming through now and Brian Gutekunst. What about the offensive line? Where are you there uh, as far as adding depth, positions, uh, how much, uh, how, how heavy are you in on the offensive line in this draft? So, uh, you know, to me, it's one of the weirdest things to try to, um, to, to handicap, to put together when you're talking about the top picks in the draft, right? How many times through the years have there been an offensive lineman drafted way, way, way high in the first round who just, you know, like what happened? I mean, Tony Mandarich, I guess, is the, is the best example in the middle of one of the best, best drafts in history, and that's a, a bad spot in Green Bay's history. So up there, it's a little bit of a concern. For the Packers, where they are back toward the back end of the first round in that mid-20s, it's much more of a, of a reliable option. If you've got somebody that you think is going to, you know, just anchor things down for years to come, I'm all right with it. And I'm all right with it with, with a quantity being drafted as well. Like it doesn't have to just be one guy. The Packers have found success with guys that they draft in the mid rounds and occasionally in the late rounds as well, you know, along that offensive line. So uh, for me, I, I don't know if I, if a target of an offensive lineman is, you know, where I'm looking with that first pick, but if it's there, if I've got somebody I value highly, I'm not afraid to go that way. And I'm not afraid to spend those those late picks as well to try to get depth. I do think depth is important because you did talk about that that part of it. Depth is important for a couple of different reasons. One is, I mean, the the experience and presence of David Bakhtiari is a, is a wonderful thing, but I think that time is over. And I also think that just in terms of injuries, in terms of changes of effectiveness, that kind of thing, I think you – that's one of those positions where I don't know if you can have enough depth, you know, you, you can draft several guys and still feel like right. you're short. So I got no problem, you know, pumping uh, a high pick if necessary, but definitely a quantity of picks toward that offensive line. Yeah. I'm with you. I want at least one tackle early. I, I'd like a guard and a center, those three positions in this draft, and then see if they can beat out what's in front of them. John running. I can't imagine is coming back. So then it's Sean Ryan versus whoever you bring in at, at right guard. Um, and while, you know, the center position has been up and down to say the least, and you spend a rather high pick on Josh Myers, I don't think that would stop me from going and finding another center. Uh, if there was one there that I think is better than Josh Myers, I guess, kind of going forward, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, obviously cornerback and safety. Now in this, this thing here, I, I'm not a huge fan of taking a safety in the first round, unless we think it's Ed Reed and that doesn't exist in this draft. So for me, I'm not drafting a safety in the first round. I'm okay taking a safety in the second or taking a safety in the third. Uh, fine. I, I think where I'm at right now, leaning-wise, is I think I'm leaning. If they stay at 25, I'm leaning corner. I think that's the pick probably at 25 if they stay at 25. If they move back, then maybe a safety at 30 or 31 at, towards the end of the first, more like a second uh, if you go that direction, if you like somebody, but if it's 25, I think they're going to go corner at that point. Um, I guess I would be surprised if it's something else. Cause there are really no middle linebackers uh, in this draft that are worthy of first round picks. It doesn't appear. Yeah. I, I don't mind the idea of, of focusing secondary early on. And there's been some success with it, but it's funny because the, the success of Jair Alexander helps you feel good about drafting to the secondary in the, in the first round. Right. What's happened with Jair Alexander over the last season or so is also the reason why you have to do this. You know what I mean? It's it, it's funny how it all came around full circle. And and Jair, for the, the amount of talent that is there, for the amount of ability that is there, there's been so much else going on. And and for this Packers defense, remember there were there were points where there were there uh, individual people on the defense 
who who just were I mean I don't even know what the term is that blowing up exploding right it was it was was it Campbell the one the one time that that it just was sort of mysteriously like okay we're gonna miss some time and he was clearly not happy with it and Jair we know about the man's out there trying to you know alter a coin flip in a place that he's you know not supposed to work to uh, be on the field because he's from Charlotte like wait a minute they. Green Bay Packers football doesn't look like that. That's no. that's what a lot of fans would say. So that that's the only thing. Talent, yes, but man, we the, the Packers are in this position partially because some of those talented people have sort of drifted over here, man. I, and I don't know how you get that back other than find the next one. And that's exactly right. And I would not be opposed to drafting heavy at corner. I, I'm not there on Stokes being the same guy ever again. Um, Valentine showed you some flashes. A uh, Ballantyne, if he's back, he showed you a little something along with Jair. But if they want to draft, I don't know, two corners uh, uh the first three picks in the first two rounds, if that's where they want to go, fine. Do you want to draft two corners in the first three rounds or three corners in the draft total? Uh, one coming early. I guess I'm good with that. Safety position. I've said this before. I'll spend money in free agency to get a veteran free agent, and then I'm going to draft another one or two safeties. It just feels like, and maybe I'm wrong. It feels like another defensive draft holding. It really does. It just feels like this is going to be another good and Koontz focus on defense, drafting linebackers, corners, safeties, probably another defensive lineman or two. If they're going to play with four down linemen, now the new defense. Um, and it's going to be a majority of the focus there with a couple of offensive linemen sprinkled in no wide receivers, no tight ends, no quarterbacks. I wouldn't think because your backup quarterback is on his rookie deal in Clifford. Uh, probably a running back. That might be the only offensive position they take is running back uh, if they're sold on their offensive line. So it's startlingly similar to what it was after the Packers won a Super Bowl with Rodgers. And I, and, and I say that as a, as a positive thing. In other words, you remember all the years of the Dayton Jones and, and those guys that were drafted because Aaron Rodgers was set and his receivers were set. And yeah, running back was an issue. There were, you know, there were flips there, but it didn't really matter because Rodgers in the passing game could could make the Packers an elite offense any year, any day, any time. And now Jordan Love is a top 10 quarterback in those rankings, and there's a good running game, and their young receivers, this very young team showed a lot of promise toward the end. And so it, it's basically it's brought us all the way back full circle, which is the the logical thought is the first thing to bring the Packers over the top is to find stars on the defensive side of the ball, find something to, you know, basically just to, to lift the defensive side of the ball to where the offense is. It's, it's probably not fair to Jordan Love and Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs to make those comparisons to the Rodgers and Greg Jennings and James Jones and so on. But that's where we are. I mean, that's, yep. that's the, the full circle of it is the Packers of 2024 aren't that different than the Packers of 2012. And, and, I, and I don't, when I say it, I don't want people to start getting headaches about playoff losses. That's not what I mean. I just mean in terms of the makeup of the franchise and what the next step is to make it better. And to me, the fact that the Packers are there in 2024 and not 2027 or 28, it's a pretty good thing. It's a huge thing. No question. Nobody thought they'd be here this quick. Having said that, without knowing what free agency and the draft are going to look like, are we at the point of, we just expect playoffs now every year going forward. I mean, I mean, we weren't there last year, uh, but, but we made the playoffs. And I, I feel like we're there now every year going forward until there's no Jordan Love or something happens to change our mind on Jordan Love. But with all these young offensive players, a new defensive coordinator, all that, I just I think it's it, it's playoffs for sure. Um, and then depending on what happens at free agency and in the draft, I mean, there might be some people talking about competing for a, a conference championship game. There's nothing worse than winning, right? <laughs> oh yeah, it's horrible. It's so I mean, stressful. No, I mean, okay, so let's let's go back with with Rodgers. Before the Super Bowl run, how many playoff wins did Aaron Rodgers have? None. He right? His his first and only playoff game before the Super Bowl run was Cardinals. in Arizona, 51 to 45 an overtime loss where he got basically intercepted by an offensive lineman for a touchdown in the game, right? And that was it. And then he won a Super Bowl in a single off season or a single postseason. Everything changed, right? And the expectation never wavered from that from that moment. You do it once. Now you're going to join the pantheon of greats. You need two or three or four or whatever for Jordan Love. And and it's it was a wonderful thing for the Packers to win in Dallas. But that is his version of it. That his first playoff game 
is, you know, as the starter is this situation in Dallas where they go down there and win. And, and so that's, that's the bar for better or for worse. In other words, they could do everything right. The Packers could come up with a top two or three team in the NFC this coming season. They could spend the right money. They could get free agents and a little hiccup in the playoffs. And, and you're going to start hearing those complaints, right? The, ah, here we go again. And Packers can't do anything in the, in the postseason. I do feel bad about that part. That's why I joke that there's nothing worse than, than winning because Rodgers was held to the standard of Super Bowl 45 for more than a decade. And, and Jordan Love, the, 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 the rookie stuff's over. The first or starter stuff's over. He's in top 10 list. He beat Dallas. He almost beat San Francisco. Were it not for that, that throw across the field, I think they would have had a chance to at least go to overtime in that game. And that's the standard now, uh, for better or for worse. You know, and, that, and that's the thing. I mean, imagine the heat that Kyle Shanahan's getting in San Francisco. I mean – there's no question. And Matt LaFleur had, was getting heat when Rodgers was here. People were blaming Matt LaFleur for not being able to finish. Uh, and the single biggest mistake you could do at this point would be to get rid of Matt LaFleur. We've seen play callers leave, offensive coordinators leave, and we've seen quarterbacks not be the same after their offensive coordinator left. And that's the one thing where Rodgers, up until LaFleur, had the benefit of having McCarthy his whole run. You know, Favre had to make a couple of different changes in his time in green men and obviously through Minnesota and so forth. Uh, Rodgers goes to the jets, gets his play caller back to, to run the offense that Aaron wants to run now that he wants to run. Uh, so again, he gets the benefit there. You can't yank, you know, Matt LaFleur from Jordan love two or three years after he's starting because you feel like you should be in a super bowl. I think that would be a big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> See, and, and now as you're, as you're talking about this, the, the couple of uh, similarities go, go through in my mind, which is, as Rodgers was was emerging and developing, Brett Favre, you know, had departed in this animosity and, and, the, and the fans hating him. But there was nothing that made that heal faster than seeing the next guy develop. You know, I mean, Favre obviously had his issues with the Jets and to an extent he had success with the Vikings. I, I think the fans are kind of ambivalent to that. But the fact that Rodgers stepped in was was a good thing. If Rodgers hadn't torn the Achilles in September and he was pushing the top 10, it would be two problems out of that. It would, obviously, it would be their animosity toward the departure of Rodgers and, and how that all happened. But it would also be this animosity toward, well, okay, so you know Rodgers has gone over here and had success. Why, why can't that same success happen here? So the, the best thing that could have happened to Matt LaFleur was to have some immediate success with, with Jordan Love. But I'm with you. Uh, the idea of getting rid of Matt LaFleur is pretty ludicrous at this point, just because that, you know, he's now we've, this uh, gap has been bridged. The Jordan Love era is in, there is some success involved with it. And LaFleur's record, even leading into this should, should have said a lot about, you know, how, how good he was. I think it would have been a mistake to let him go. Playoff success is a completely different animal. And I don't want to make that independent of coaching but sometimes things happen in the postseason. Sometimes you're off for a week or there's an injury or there, you know, the other guys just turn out to have that kind of day. And uh, it's I think some of the Mike McCarthy years were, were tainted just a little bit because they caught up, you know, a break here. Now, now there were, you know, I'm not like that Seattle game still haunts me. Right. But some of those playoff losses are just you know, just didn't work that day. And, and so, uh, you know, I hope that that's that happens if the Packers are better this year, but still lose in the first round that people don't think it's a step back because it's not. Yep. And I, people will definitely think it's a step back if they lose in the first round. No question. Sure. People will be losing their minds. Three, two, one Q Kevin, follow him on Twitter. Kevin Holden, CBS 58 sports director. Follow me at Sparky radio, download current and long on your Odyssey app or if you download your favorite podcast at check us out live streaming. most of the time on the uh, Odyssey sports YouTube page, you can also catch all these videos there as well after they're done. Uh, I want to, change directions a little bit here at the end. Like we said, talk a little Brewers baseball on the way out. Pitchers and catchers report today, uh, Valentine's Day, it appears. Um, no Gary Sanchez listed on the uh, graphic put out by the Brewers, which I guess I was surprised by. Um, so I'm assuming he's still a Brewer and so forth. Maybe they're going to have him first base DH. Maybe it's officially not technically signed yet. I'm not quite sure, uh, but not on the graphic. No Corbin Burns, no Brandon Woodruff. What are fair expectations for this Brewers team without their top two pitchers? Yeah, you're, I think we're about to learn just how much those two covered up over the course of the last five or six years. The Brewers have done 
some tremendous things in those years, making the playoffs essentially every year. There was the one year they didn't, uh, but they they were in it every year. They were competitive every year, no ma- almost no matter what they ran out on the field offensively. Yelich got bad offensively, and they brought up kids, and they still made the playoffs. Now it didn't work when they got there, but but they you know they made the playoffs. Uh, with those two gone, there's there's a different kind of pressure I think on on this offense. I think you got to score. I think you got to be more consistent. I don't think that you can be competitive over the course of 162 games, like like division title competitive. If you're seeing a whole lot of Colin Ray and Wade Miley, if those guys are are fill-ins or bullpen guys, it's one thing. If they're the two or three or four starters in your rotation, that's that that's going to be a little bit problematic. I got no problem with Freddie Peralta, and I think there are some other options that the Brewers can have. But pitching, the pitching is is going to return to to what we remember from before the Craig Council era, you know, that there's there's just there's this Braden Looper, Dave Bush feel to all of that, right? And and that's that's an enormous problem. Now, that's the the downside. The upside is the Brewers have a very good young offensive core. And that reminds me of a little farther back when sure. when you had the bronze and infielders and Corey Hartz and those guys coming up. I the future on that front is very, very bright. I was curious to know how Matt Arnold Matt Arnold would handle two two uh, time outlooks, one in the immediate and one down the road. And it seems like in the immediate, he understands that that to be you know competitive financially, there's some sacrifice. Burns is gone. I imagine Willie Adamas won't last the season. Yep. Uh, but down the road, when when you have some more experience out of South Freelick and Garrett Mitchell and even Bryce Terang, and you're going to see Jackson Churio in the show, and you're going to see Ortiz, the, the kid that they got in the trade from uh, from Baltimore – like that young group is depending on how fast they come along, the future could get here quicker. The faster that happens, the better off the Brewers are going to be. If they take a year or two to develop, it could be a long year or two. You know, you go back to the Prince Fielder, Ryan Braun era, like you said, that team had some pop, right? Fielder, power hitter, Braun a power hitter. Weiss could hit with some power. Hardy was a plus at shortstop with his power that he had. Corey Hart had power. That was a power-driven team. That's not how this one is being constructed necessarily. Um, you will have some power. Joey Weimer will provide power. Cheerio will provide power. Um, Gary Mitchell gets you 20. Um, so you'll have some. But this thing here is being built like the 1982-83 St. Louis Cardinals or later, where it's just speed everywhere. I mean, Tyler Black had, what, 50 stolen bases last year? Uh, he can run. Jackson Cheerio can run. Mitchell can run. Freelick can run. Weimer can run. These guys can just run, um, and that's going to put a whole different spin on how you try to control the Milwaukee Brewers uh, because if they're as aggressive on the bases as what their speed shows they should be, uh, then it's going to really stress out opposing defenses, and it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun to watch an American family field. Look, as as difficult as it was to watch the Brewers lose in two to, to the Arizona Diamondbacks, I think fans should have taken at least a little bit of hope in, in what they saw from the Diamondbacks and Corbin Carroll and their approach to the game, making it all the way to the World Series, because that's what the Brewers about to look like. You know, Corbin Carroll is is the guy that you mentioned. He's the the embodiment of that player maturing into a full blown major league superstar, a guy that puts pressure on the defense who can run. Uh, pressure on pitchers, that sort of thing. That's it. It's it's the way of the game right now. Uh, the trend of the game right now, for for a variety of reasons. Obviously, pitch clock is different. The bases are that much closer. I don't know how much that really affects it, but but the trend is toward that type of player. The trend is Corbin Carroll, and the Brewers have guys uh, who fit that role. I think they're set up to be really good. Uh, at least in that that core, that offensive core, in 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 the time to come, they are to the to the mid 2020s what the Brewers' young core, the Bronze and Fielders, and so on were to the mid 2000s, and and it's you know in the Brewers' power if that group develops, it's within their grasp to to make a playoff run. Now the thing the Brewers had to do back then was get pitching, traded for Grinky, traded for Sean Markham, Giovanni Gallardo developed. Now you got a top three that that puts you all the way to Game Six of the NLCS. Give this team a couple of years, let the young guys develop, do something similar from a pitching standpoint. No reason they couldn't do the same thing. And they do have some pitchers. Uh, Robert Gosser, Carlos Rodriguez, uh, Mizorowski's a flamethrower. This D.L. Hall they got from Baltimore, he's a flamethrower. Now, both those guys that can throw 100 can't control it all that well. 
Um, so if they get control, then damn, then you might have two front of the rotation guys. And there was never, ever any promise of that in the Brewers farm sister under Doug Melvin, where, Hey, if they get control, I guess Jeremy Jeffers was the, the closest one where he was over, but he was high on life the whole time in the Myers and damn near got suspended for life down there. So he had no control and was never in any danger of finding it. Um, necessarily, and he ended up finding it later in life, uh, not in the Brewers organization originally, and then came back and pitched well. But to have the potential to have two frontline starters um, that can throw around 100 miles an hour, oh my goodness. I mean, that that would be a complete game changer if those two guys figure it out in Mizorowski and Dia Hall. Yeah, those. if that happens too, I think it's a credit to – to Matt Arnold and to and, and the analytics department and how they look at pitchers and what can develop out of it. Right. Like that's the, what the Brewers learned, I think, as, as analytics began to, to, to really infiltrate baseball, what they learned was the idea of fixing pitching by spending a whole bunch of money on Kyle Lotion, Matt Garza and whatever in as free agent signings wasn't working for the team. And it wasn't working financially for a team that had, that is strapped financially. So you got to come up with a different way to do it. I think Matt Arnold has been super effective. And by the way, I, I I'm glad that, that he hasn't taken a ton of heat for, for some of the, the, the down spots, because I think Matt Arnold's got a really good grasp on what's going on. David Stearns left and there was definitely a chance of a drop off, but you, I, you see the plan. And, and it looks like a good plan. And Matt Arnold being given a budget of like this cap of a bottle has turned it into something. And I and, and so I, I commend him. I think Matt Arnold's done a great job. The website Brewer Fanatic, I have Tim Uman all the time from there uh, doing interviews, uh, put out a piece yesterday, today, I don't remember, uh, talking about Christian Yelich uh, and maybe he should be in that three hole uh, this year based on this lineup. And I love me some lineup talk. I drove Gary Ellis and Leroy Butler crazy whenever me and Tim Allen would do lineup talk, but I love lineup talk. Um, and if you move Yelich to the three hole, that that to me opens up the whole question of, well, who is batting one? Because if let's say you say, okay, Contreras is going to bat two. Reese Hoskins is four. I think Reese Hoskins is a lock for four. So if, if Contreras is two, Hoskins is four. I feel good about Contreras, Yelich, Hoskins, but then who is one? That also then allows you to move Adamas down in the lineup, uh, which makes your lineup even deeper. Now, when he before he came up, I said Sal Freely can be a leadoff for the next 10 to 12 years in Milwaukee because he's a contact guy. He's got some speed, puts the ball in play, done strike out a ton. Um, the question just is, is, is he going to start in the outfield for this team? Because I, I don't know. Is Yelich going to be the DH more than he's going to be in the outfield? Is Yelich going to be in the outfield more than he's the DH? Does Sanchez steal a bunch of DH at bats? Does Joy Weimer end up uh, in Nashville? Because I have a feeling that's where he's going um, to be probably at the end of the day uh, to try and figure that swing out fully before they bring him back up. Uh, so for you, after I talked way too long, would you bat Yelich third? And if so, who's your leadoff hit? Boy, I, the idea of Yelich three is it's it's fun because he you know that's a centerpiece spot in the order. The three's got to do a lot of different things, have a lot of different talents, and if anybody on this team has done it, it's Yelich. And his return, that little upward slope that he's had lately, makes me feel a little more comfortable about about him in the three hole. Uh, I if they had more power, if they had more options, other spots, I'd like him maybe a touch higher in the order. Maybe as a, as a two, although that's kind of a tough, that's a tough spot too. But if he's three, I want, you talked about the pressure, the pressure kind of guy. That's who I want in that, in that one hole. And it could be free. Like it could be Garrett Mitchell. I know, I know you're wasting a little bit of power high, but this day and age in baseball power exists in a lot, you know, some realms, right? It's like, you know, an outfielder that hits 15 homers is just an outfielder, right? So, so he, you know, that his speed could put him in that in that one hole, but somebody who's going to put that pressure in. And then that allows that two hitter to see better pitches, to get distracted pitchers to, you know, to sort of start that. If we were going to go 1982 Cardinals, let's do it, you know, put speed up there and let that let that two hitter, you know, hit the ball around. Doesn't have to necessarily hit for power. And that allows, like you said, to, to pull some of that power farther down in the order. I like the idea of Adamas, Adamas as a guy who drives and runs. I like the idea eventually of Joey Weimer, if he finds it bats, of a guy who's even lower than that. One of those – what I always love about a six or seven guy in a batting order is 
you've gotten through the toughest part of the order, the three, four, five, and the pitcher's sweating a little bit. And then he looks up and Joey Weimer, you know, uh, two or three years from now, Joey Weimer, a guy with more development as a hitter is up. And he's like, man, I thought I got through the tough part of this order. And here comes Joey Weimer. Now, with what you were talking about with Gary Sanchez, I'm a little perplexed because Gary Sanchez is going, if he hits the way he's capable, is going to be good enough to take it bat somewhere. And it's not catcher necessarily. He'll play some at catcher. And it's not first. And if it's DH, someone out there is losing losing time, whether it's, you know, Yelich resting or Yelich going to the outfield and Mitchell or Churio or Freelich sitting. Somebody's sitting. And and that's that was interesting to me that the money was spent in that direction. If you if he's just a backup catcher who's going to pinch hit for you, that's fine. But I think Sanchez is a good enough hitter that he's going to push you or force you somewhere on the diamond, and someone's going to lose time. And defensively, he got quite a bit better defensively last year as a catcher because previously it was horrible. Um, but he improved last year. Contreras has improved for the last couple of years from when he got here too. So uh, it, from a hitting standpoint, you're way better with him than Caratini. That much I do know. Um, so yeah. you you improve from that standpoint. Um, Devin Williams, last one. Does he make it past the trade deadline? This is a hater thing. You're going to be a half a year in, and if this team is competing for a playoff spot, there is no chance, no how they're trading Devin Williams. But if they're, say, 10 games out of first at the trade deadline, I don't see why you wouldn't trade them. And and the thing is, going back to hater, because that's that's the perfect setup that hater trade and the timing of the hater trade and the reaction to the hater trade has sent a ripple effect through the organization, I think, for a solid year and a half now. Or is, yep. it, is it a year and a half or two and a half? It's been it's however long it's been since the trade. In, in all honesty, tell me you agree with this. The timing of the Corbin Burns trade was directly affected by what happened with Josh Hader. They're trading him now as opposed to trading him in July or last July. Kevin, right? The trading of Corbin Burns, when they did it, made no damn sense. Why did you sign Reese Hoskins? And if I'm Reese Hoskins, I'm like, what are we doing? Like, you signed me with the intention of, hey, we're going to compete for a playoff spot here this year. Here we go. And then days later, you trade our best pitcher. Like, what are we doing? Why did you sign me if you were going to trade our best pitcher? I, it, again, maybe Hoskins is happy with the money. Who cares? I'll deal with it. They can trade me if we're out of it. And I'll go play somewhere else that has a chance to compete. But that, to me, made no sense. It made no, absolutely no sense to me whatsoever why you would sign Hoskins and then trade your best pitch. You could you commit to the present and then you blow up the present. It's right. It, Sparky, you and I are, may have to do a whole separate podcast on, on rapid changes of direction because this is the Brewers version of bringing in Adrian Griffin and then blowing up the defensive scheme yes. that he was supposed to coach. Yep. Like no offense to – I mean, Damian Lillard is a superstar, and I get when the opportunity was there, it was there. But you went absolutely in this direction with Griffin and then absolutely in this direction with Lillard, and it cost Griffin his job after 43 games. That's Yeah, so you got me fired up. That's uh, But that that's the baseball version of it. You, he, we, the Brewers looked like they were committed to today for about 72 hours, and I didn't understand that. But, but anyway, I, I do think that – the hands were tied by the, by the fact that that hater trade goes down. So going back to Devin Williams, I think there's a pretty good chance he's traded by the trade deadline, but man, do they ever have to be gentle and handle that with kid gloves? Because (laughs) the first hater is going to be on everybody's lips the whole time. It's going to, it has a chance to blow up chemistry and has a chance to blow up like the attitude of a fan base. It has a chance to blow back on Mark Adonacio like that, De- Devin Williams is a very good pitcher who has the potential to be a powder keg if they end up trading him at the wrong time and or in the wrong situation. Right, but it just has to be when you're out of it. If yeah. you're in first place or within three or four games, you can't do it. But if you're out, you know, seven and ten games out of a playoff spot at the at, at that point, Bruce fans are going to care. They're just like, we're not competing anyhow. Who cares? Get rid of them. But when you do get rid of them, you have to get somebody that can be a top of the rotation guy. And I don't care if that guy is sitting in single A right now or double A, but you have got to get somebody that has the potential like Mizorowski, like DL Hall to eventually be top of the rotation. Cause it doesn't appear Gosser is top of the rotation. It doesn't appear Carlos Rodriguez is top of the rotation. Now, again, I'm, I'm basing it off of stuff, right? How hard they throw and what they bring to the table. I'm not saying they can't be effective rotation guys. Cause they can. Adrian Hauser is an effective rotation guy, but he's not a one. Uh, Freddie Peralta. Is he a one? We'll find out. Uh, Wade Miley is going to be two. 
Um, and he's pitched well while he's been in Milwaukee. Uh, and you keep the pitching coach, so everything is the same there. So I don't really worry about much about Wade Miley, just health, because he's old. Uh, but then after that, who the hell knows how this thing plays out? So if you trade Adamas, if you trade Peralta, not Peralta, Devin Williams, I think you have to focus on pitching. You just do. Position-wise, you just have to forget about it and hope some of these guys you've drafted in the last couple of years develop at third base because that's what you've been doing, drafting six four, six five, six six foot, six foot six dudes, uh, and hoping they they develop and can eventually be up here at some point to play first and third because I think that's the plan. You know, they've drafted shortstops and first baseman and third baseman. Hope you get a couple of them where your corners are six foot four, six foot six at first and third that can drive the ball in the middle of the lineup to go along with all the speed you have in all the other areas of the lineup. And you feel good about things for the next, you know, five to 10 years again, all of a sudden. And having Matt Arnold come from Tampa Bay that knows exactly what the heck they're doing year to year. I mean, should make everybody feel better about things. Now you just have to make sure the owner doesn't allow him to get away like Stearns did to go back to New York. Yeah, and there's there's where the, the rub is, right? Like Matt Arnold has done a terrific job this past year where the Brewers were at the at the trade deadline and they were in need of something. And he, you know, he plucked Carlos Santana and Mark Canna. And by the time the playoffs came, Carlos Santana and Mark Canna were the center yep. of their order. Like that's that that tells you a lot about what he was able to find, what he gave up, which wasn't much, and what he got, which was a ton. So if you put Matt Arnold in that position, he will do well. But look, it's a it's a game. There's only so long that he can look around at the resources that everybody else has and realizes if he doesn't have those same resources, it's a challenge. But, you know, when when does his hair start changing? When does you know, when does the stress of of uh, trying to make up the difference of resources come in? Because it will over time. And like you said, you know, David Stearns is uh, in a different place, I think, because of that now. Last question on the Brewers, and we'll wrap up Curtin Long. First half hour, Packers, uh, the last 20 minutes or so, Brewers. Uh, thanks so much for Kevin Holden for coming on, CBS 58 Sports Director. Follow him on Twitter at 321Q. Kevin, what is this Brewers team? Is it a playoff team? Is it a sub-500 team? What is it in your mind I right think, now? I think it, it's it's a little better than a, than a sub-500 team. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. They're going to be ups and downs because of a young offense. They're going to be moments where the pitchers, the pitching staff is going to make you tear your hair out. And, you know, if they if there's some development on some of those young guys of a DL Hall or somebody like that can can come in and, and serve in a rotation, then they might compete in the in the central. I, I think unless there's some huge jump, I don't know if they're a division champion this year, but I but I think they're going to be fun to watch. And I think there's there's enough young talent and enough of a bright future on the team that I don't think we're looking at a 70 win team or anything. I think, you know, maybe a touch over 500 and if they can catch a little boost then then maybe they have a shot, uh, you know, to compete for the central. And then, then you end up in that, that dreaded situation they've been in lately where it's like, well, we made the playoffs and two days later, well, we're out of the playoffs. I don't yep, want that. Exactly. Yep. Doubles, triples, stolen bases, a lot of that probably at American Family Field this upcoming summer. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on, my friend. Truly appreciate it. Please download the Curtin Long podcast on your Odyssey app, wherever you download your favorite podcast at. And you can also check it out on the Odyssey Sports YouTube page. Like, subscribe, follow, hit that bell for notifications. Enjoy the rest of your day. Have a good one. Toodles. Toodles.